Welcome to the Learner Centered Spaces podcast, where we empower and inspire ownership of learning, sponsored by Mastery Portfolio. And I'm one of your hosts, Star Saxstein. I'm another host, Emma Chapetta. And I'm Crystal Frommert. In each episode, we will bring you engaging conversations with a wide variety of educators, both in and out of the classroom. This podcast is created for educators who want to learn more about how to make the shift toward learner-centered spaces for their students, schools, and districts, or education at large. So get ready to be inspired as we dive right into the conversation with today's guest. Today, we are talking with Evan Robb. He has over 20 years of experience serving as a building level principal. Prior to being a school principal, he was an English teacher, department chair, and assistant principal. Evan is a recipient of the Horace Mann Educator of the Year Award. In addition, the NCTE Commission on Reading selected him to serve on its national board. A TEDx speaker, Evan offers inspirational keynotes, workshops, webinars, and ongoing professional learning opportunities on leadership, mindset, culture, impactful change, and how to improve literacy in schools. Evan has shared his ideas with thousands of educators at dozens of workshops across the United States and other countries. His first book, titled The Principal's Leadership Sourcebook, Practices, Tools, and Strategies for Building in a Thriving School Community, was published by Scholastic in the fall of 2007. His next book, The 10-Minute Principle, was published by Corwin in May 2019. Evan and Laura Robb collaborated with Dave Burgess Publishing to write Team Makers, which was published in August of 2019. In addition, Evan partnered with Laura Robb to write A School Full of Readers with Benchmark Education, which was published in 2020. Evan's newest book with Corwin, Aiming High, Leadership Actions to Increase Learning Gains, was published in February 2022. Welcome, Evan Robb. It's always great to catch up with you. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your role, location, journey, or some interesting facts? Yeah, absolutely, Star. It's always um, great to catch up with you, too, and, and Crystal, great to catch up with you also. Uh, my name is Evan Robb. I uh, have recently retired from public education where I served the last 24 years as a building level principal. Um, prior to being a principal, I was an English teacher, a team leader, a department chair, assistant principal. Uh, and since I have retired from public education, I am now working in private education as the head of an upper school in a school that's actually um, fairly close to my house and interesting, a school where I actually attended from kindergarten to eighth grade a long, long time ago. Um, along the journey, I've had opportunities to write several books, and I've written five books, most recently two books for Corwin. And I have also had opportunities to speak about education, leadership uh, to educators in Virginia and, and really all over the country. So that's been a fun second kind of career that I've dipped, dipped into along the way also. I um, do live in Winchester, Virginia. I am happily married. My children are grown. And uh, right now it is my wife and I and our two lovely little dogs, which occupy my time when I'm not doing uh, the work of being an educational administrator. Thanks so Thanks. much for introducing yourself, Evan. We're so excited to talk to you today. 
And it sounds like you've had such a wide variety of experiences across educational institutions. So what I'm curious about is what does a learner-centered space look like, feel like, sound like to you? It's a, it's a really good question. And, uh, you know, I, um, I think at its core, a learner-centered space is a classroom where an educator, teacher, um, has a very clear understanding of the individual learners that are in the classroom and is able to differentiate and balance the delivery of instruction and the learning to meet each student's individual needs. And so I guess so the opposite of a learner-centered classroom would be a classroom that it's founded on a belief that one size fits all and everyone simply has to move through the curriculum and their learning would fall along a bell curve. So within the learner-centered classroom, again, a focus on meeting the needs of individual learners. And my experience as a principal is teachers who are highly learner-centered also have a strong degree of personal efficacy. They believe that all children can become successful um, and they tailor their instruction and they tailor their lessons to help them achieve that belief. Thank you for that. And and before we started recording, oh, this is Crystal, by the way. And before we started recording, you mentioned a little bit about how assessment looks different um, from your transition from the public education uh, field to into the private education. And I myself am a private school educator, formerly a public school educator. And I agree with you about how assessment looks different. And I'm curious if you could elaborate on that and and how does assessment fit into what you were talking about with the learner-centered spaces and and where you are now? Well, one of the ways that it looks different, certainly in the state of Virginia, is private schools in Virginia are not accountable to the state standards assessments that public school teachers have to make sure that uh, they're preparing students for. So that feeling of high-stakes assessment the tensions that high stakes assessment brings uh, into a school and brings into a classroom and, and unfortunately to an individual child does not exist in the world that I'm working in right now. Uh, and I would say that's actually incredibly positive. I would say in general, there's, there's more flexibility with how the teacher goes about assessment with the autonomy that teachers have you know, of the assessments that they give in their classrooms that I'm typically used to within Within a private, within a public school, I'll give you an example. Uh, I've worked with, and I've and I've I've worked in schools before where teachers need to record a certain amount of assessments every week or or every six weeks, and assessments are recorded into a digital grade book, and parents can have access to those grades typically any time that they want. And those elements of grading assessment do not exist within private school that I work in. And again, I would say that's also quite positive. I would say one of the challenges that I work on and I'll continue to work on is because assessment isn't as codified and in some cases curriculum is not as codified as it is based on my experiences within public ed, I want to make sure that you know if teachers leave or if teachers retire, that we can carry on the curriculum in a way that gives honor to what has been there prior. So those are a couple of things that resonate with me. I'd be interested with your perspective too, because you know, you, you've said that you've had a private, private school experience also. Yeah, thank you for that. So, I'm, you know, when you talk about teacher autonomy, which is one of my, my favorite things about where I work, 
um, it's it's a blessing and a curse at the same time because you know we have some teachers who are doing assessment that looks completely different than the teacher down the hall. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious as a school leader, how do you help reconcile that difference with with the teacher autonomy that you have? Like some teachers might be giving the pencil and paper assessments that are more traditional with a number grade attached, and some might be doing more conversational interview style assessments. Um, how do you balance that as an educator and keep it equitable for all the students? I've absolutely noticed that. And so that's certainly something that I've seen also. I, I have been careful to not go too, too quick to uh, make people uncomfortable or to make people start thinking significantly different right away. Uh, because one of the other challenges that that I work with is since we don't have a lot of external assessments, the indicators that a professional may use to judge their effectiveness are different than indicators that they may use within public ed. So as an example, a a public ed teacher may think they're a wonderful language arts teacher, but if their state scores keep coming back very, very deficient, uh, I'm not saying that everything, the be all and end all would be on the state scores, but I would say that there's an opportunity to reflect and and perhaps um, reflect on one's practice. But that, again, that does not exist where, where I am currently. This year, we're working on a couple key focus areas. One of them is differentiating. And I am focusing on bringing PD into the building, um, article study, getting people to have conversations about what differentiating looks like in their classroom, creating opportunities for people to share and for people to dialogue. I have, although my school is small, I think that we have opportunities for enhanced communication. And there's a lot of things that go on within the typical day of a private school, but creating opportunities for conversation or structured conversation on topics that can bring people together, I think are very positive. Assessment would be a really good example of that, um, but also delivery of instruction, whether um, you know someone delivers very traditional and traditional instruction may exist a little bit more in private schools than public. I'm not 100% sure. I haven't had a broad enough uh, sense to be able to gauge that from looking at other private schools across the Commonwealth of Virginia or across the country, but uh, we certainly have some parents who grew up with very traditional methods of instruction and they like them and they want to see that continue. So trying to honor the past, get people to think a little differently, create opportunities for people to be more creative and to create opportunities for people to to discuss and share are the avenues that I'm going down right now. uh, And we'll see how that goes. We'll probably be in that mode for another year or two. I mean, you're right. It's it, it varies from school to school, even within public, even within private, especially from state to state. Um, so I'm curious. I, I don't mean to dominate all the questions. You're just, you're just so interesting to talk to. But um, to follow up on that, um, you mentioned you know that public schools do have. Um, I guess it's a benefit, I suppose, of a external indicator um, of a state test to help teachers and parents. Um, see where their students are as far as the progression of learning for that school year. What does your school use as some sort of third-party indicator of, of how the students are doing in that particular subject? And do you follow standards? Uh, I know this is a huge question, so you can take any part of that to answer. Yeah, that I'll that apart. The, we are not beholden to the state standards that guide public schools in the state of Virginia. We pay attention to them. And there's certain subjects that students would take 
in my school that we may pay even more attention to because they'll receive a high school credit for them. Algebra one, geometry would be another, and also Spanish year one and Spanish year two. So those in those particular content areas, there's more focus on the state standards to make sure that we're meeting or, or exceeding them. Um, if you could refresh me on the other part of the question. Well, you were, I was asking about uh, standards that you might refer to or third-party testing that you might yeah. uh, use, and you don't, you're not beholden to the state test, just like right. it is here uh, where I teach. Mm-hmm. But what other indicators, um, besides, you know, the families knowing what they experienced 25, 30 years ago, what other uh, indicators do teachers have to go off of to adjust their instruction? Well, let me, let me just dip back for one moment and say that the state testing or, or the national testing that we give, we give the ERBs. And uh, that's what my school has given for several years. I'm not 100% sure about how popular those norm reference assessments are in other private schools. Um, they, I'm just simply not able, to, not able to answer that. That will give us some indication about how our students are doing. But as you both know, uh, it's a norm reference test, so it's not a test that is assessing specific content that was taught within, within the classroom. So a lot of the judgments that teachers will make, uh, you know, in terms of how kids are progressing through the curriculum are based off of, they've done it for a while. I have a staff that's uh, certainly a, I would consider a veteran staff here. Uh, and the quality or the performance rather that kids show off of the assessments that they have created. And that is an area that is definitely different than, um, than in public ed. Now, I would say one of the things that I'm interested in is looking at some other assessments that are not high stakes assessments that could give some additional information for teachers. So an, a language arts example would be Lexile assessment. So we are considering testing kids for Lexile that can help guide independent reading choices. It can help guide instructional reading. I'm hoping it can be something that we could potentially keep some longitudinal data on students to get a feeling or an understanding of their growth. Uh, and kids, of course, who, have, uh, who are weaker, we can use that to be a little more diagnostic on the um, specific skills and strategies that they're exposed to, in, in this case, through language arts. I definitely appreciate your candor here, Evan, because, I mean, you know how I feel about assessment in general and formative assessment, too, and having to, like, part of the questions that were coming up for me is, like, how do you reconcile um, some of those differences between the beliefs and practices of the school that you're in now and the ones that you know to work well from your various experiences from before, Yes, that is something that is definitely has some challenges. What I can say, and what I've seen, just if I was to be very general about private ed, is I don't see um, weaponizing of grades. And Star, you and I've talked about that before. That would be kind of under the umbrella of teachers giving zeros to really punish kids, teachers not allowing retakes, teachers um, failing kids as a means of increasing their a belief rather that that would increase their motivation to learn. So those, those elements I'm not, I I don't experience. Um, What I'd like to do is get folks thinking a little differently about how grades are, are calculated, how grades are communicated, particularly something even as simple as the average. 
And so averaging grades is something that, uh, that I definitely have teachers that do. There is a, there's some inherent problems with averaging grade and grades. And one of them is that, you know, the, the prior transgressions of a student can be held against them in the future if they've demonstrated that they have an understanding of the material at a later time. I think that standards-based assessment, and I know, Star, that's something that you're very familiar with, could have a place in, in my current school and could have a place in private ed. But there are some other challenges that, that I would have to think about that I wouldn't necessarily have as, as high if I was in public ed. One of them being uh, parents have a, tradi- a fairly traditional mindset about grading and not grading or recording grades in a different way would be, would be very different than what some of the, um, the parents whom I work with think about grading and, and how a child should be, how a child's grade should be recorded and even their perception of their child based off of the grade. Yeah, that's always challenging. I don't I think regardless of the setting that you're in when it comes to changing grading practices and the community's reaction to those things. So, to that end, what advice or tips would you give someone who wants to create these more learner-centered spaces with different kinds of grading paradigms and different kinds of differentiation like what what advice where should they start? I think Again, another great question. There are a couple things that I guess come to my mind. One is wherever a place is, any school, public or private school, I always kind of operate under the mindset that it took time to get to that place and it'll take time to move to a different place. So it's the whole mindset of change is a process. It's it's not an event. The other thing that I think is important, maybe incredibly important, is really working on collective efficacy of the school and personal efficacy of the staff members, making sure that if new staff are brought into a building, that they have a high degree of personal efficacy. What I have found over the years is that teachers who really believe that they can make a difference in the lives of kids are much more open-minded to being learner-centered. They're more open-minded to being flexible with their grading and make sure that the grading is uh, the best and most accurate communicator of where a child is currently as a learner. And they're just, in general, more flexible. So, you know, on the opposite of that, and this does not exist in my school, but in Crystal, maybe you can, maybe you've had an experience with this before in the past. I would imagine that there can be some schools where if, if the efficacy is not strong for the teachers and within a private school, the desire to differentiate may not be that high and the excuse to not differentiate may be blamed on accepting the students into the school. So... In other words, what's not the teacher's role to differentiate, it's the school's role to make sure that all the kids that are accepted are are able to do the work at a very high level. Thus, differentiation isn't needed. I am not experiencing that, but but I would guess that 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 could exist in places. So for me, it comes down to really understanding the belief system of the individual, the leadership responsibility of building and cultivating collective efficacy within the faculty, and then providing opportunities for people to have conversations, for people to article study, to book study, to think about new things, to share ideas for new things, in combination with the administrator, setting the tone and creating an environment where people can take risks, where people feel uh, supported if they take risks, where um, changing instructional methods is encouraged, and people feel that it's safe. 
because if people don't feel that it's safe to try new things, they, they never will. That's such great advice, Evan. And something that you mentioned was teachers kind of like expanding their network and reading, um, having conversations with each other. So if you had to point a teacher who's trying to learn more about creating their own learner-centered space, who would you point them to? Who are some people you'd like to shout out in this universe? Um, I think the, the first place that I typically point people is um, teachthought.com, uh, that blog, blog site. I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's loaded with a tremendous amount of articles for people to quickly gather information. I typically like to just get information out to people in short chunks and to get them thinking, to get them asking questions, to get them reflecting, and to not feel necessarily overwhelmed by uh, overly academic writing or something that's particularly um, daunting. Uh, I am a big fan of the work of Carol Tomlinson and the differentiation, uh, differentiating work that she's done. Uh, that is also someone who I always guide teachers for as we start thinking about innovation, I mean, about differentiation. And, uh, and then kind of in tandem with that, Rick Wormley's work, uh, he has a book called Fair is Not Equal. It's a great book that I like to guide people towards to get them thinking differently about assessment and, uh, and learning. And then I like to guide people towards the work of Carol Dwick, uh, George Kuros' innovation, Innovator's Mindset, uh, to get people thinking about their thinking and uh, what they, how they can empower themselves and how they may need to think differently in order to feel free to try different things. So that's a lot. This is amazing. Um, I know that we could probably talk for many more hours, um, but the listeners who want to you know, connect with you, learn more about your work, where would you send them on social media to, to work with you, connect yeah, with you? you? Thank you very much for asking. I am reasonably active on Twitter, even though Twitter seems to be changing all the time. Uh, but I am at E-Rob Principal, and can be found there, and love connecting with educators, and really enjoy my PLN, and like to always work to expand my PLN. I have a blog site called the Rob Review Blog, where I write, my mother writes, my mother's Laura Rob, um, and we have a lot of guest submissions from educators all over the country, primarily focused on literacy, but we do dip into other parts of, of education also. And I can, you can connect with me on LinkedIn and on Facebook also. On Facebook, it's at The Rob Review. And on LinkedIn, it's Evan Rob MBA. This has been fabulous. Thank you so much for talking with us today. And I hope our listeners gained a little more insight about learner-centered spaces. And I hope they find you on social media just to continue the conversation as well. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to have a, have a conversation with you all and appreciate the work that you're doing. You all continue to do great things for educators all across the country. And um, thank you so much for um, allowing me to be on your podcast. Thanks, Thanks so much, Aaron. Evan. We appreciate you. Thank you, Star. Always a pleasure connecting. Thank you for learning with us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you'd like any additional information from the show, check out the show notes. Learn more about Mastery Portfolio and how we support schools at masteryportfolio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mastery for All and on LinkedIn on our Mastery Portfolio page. 
We'd love for you to engage with us. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or know someone who would be an inspiring guest, please fill out the survey found in the show notes. And we'd love your feedback. Please write a review on your favorite podcasting app. Thank you.